Today we read from Micah 5, verses 1 to 5. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty and the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Good morning. Isn't it wonderful to have the Christmas choir up here leading us in worship? What a blessing. We live in an uncertain world. This fall I was going to a regular checkup and the doctor thought he'd run some extra tests. He said there's an irregularity in your heart and we need to run more tests and they ran more tests and there was an arrhythmia, a ventricular tachycardia they decided. It's a major problem. They were talking about putting in a pacemaker, defibrillator, surgery, trying to figure this out eventually. After more tests, they decided that, well, we'll just treat it with medication for now. But we live in an uncertain world. We're told we're about to plunge over a fiscal cliff. Most of us don't know what that means, but it just sounds bad, right? (laughs) And if they don't fix it, of course... You know, if we really thought about it, it's simply the government doesn't know how to live within its own means. And so if they sort of fix it for now, it'll just be moved out a little farther. And someday we'll plunge over that fiscal cliff. (laughs) Life is uncertain. It's insecure. I want to show you a commercial that reflects that. It's true what they say. Tis better to give than to receive. This time of year, I get really generous. On the twelfth day of Christmas, Mayhem came to me. Twelve trees of going, eleven streakers streaking, ten toddlers screaming, nine cases of jumping, eight teens of texting, seven packs of bursting, six reps of fleeing, five blind spots, four snowy roofs, three shaky trees, two turtle doves, Recalculating. The holidays are mayhem. (laughs) That'll get you in the Christmas spirit. (laughs) Watch out for mayhem, right? It's coming. But as Allstate says, no one protects you from mayhem like Allstate. Are you in good hands? (laughs) Or the John Hancock commercials that, uh, you know, they're talking, oh, the market's up and down, what do we do, and how are we going to deal with it, and then the tagline at the end, you are not alone. 
these are appealing to our fears, right? Because we live in an uncertain world and they suggest, well, if you want some security, you need to buy the right insurance or have the right financial advisor and then maybe, maybe you'll get a little security in an insecure world. We know it's not true that insurance, financial planning really can't give you the security that we long for. But it does reflect the need in every one of our hearts We long for security in an insecure world. We're all looking for something to cling to for security. In 720 B.C., it was a great time of uncertainty in Israel. The Assyrians were attacking. They were a cruel people. They had destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. And they were approaching Judah. They took all the major cities. The only one left was Jerusalem. And they laid siege to that great city. In that time of uncertainty, God steps in. And He steps in with a wonderful prophecy by the prophet Micah to give them a prophecy of the coming King, the Messiah, Jesus. Why? Why does he give them that prophecy at their time of great need? Because God wants to give his people security and peace in the midst of an uncertain world. They looked forward 720 years to the coming of Jesus. We look back 2,000 years to the first coming of Jesus. But for all of us, the same issue exists. In the face of the uncertainties of life, will we cling to Jesus as our hope and our peace? Pray with me. Lord, as we explore this great prophecy of Micah's, we pray that we would, by your Spirit, begin to understand who you are as our great shepherd that we might learn to find our security in you, not in the things that this life, this world has to offer. Oh Lord, teach us from this text afresh who you are for us in this world of uncertainty. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the passage begins by describing their time of uncertainty. Muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They've laid siege against us. With the rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. As I said, they were under siege by the cruel Assyrians. An army of nearly 200,000 Assyrians had come up to the gates of Jerusalem. The people were terrified. They had nowhere to turn for help. They didn't know what to do. No one had been able to stand up to the Assyrians that they had faced. That, folks, is real insecurity. (laughs) In Jesus' day, as the prophecy prophesied about, in Jesus' day it was a great time of insecurity as well. The Jews had been under foreign domination for nearly 600 years. First by the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks and now the Romans. They were longing for some freedom. They were longing for somebody to help them give them a sense of peace and security in this insecure world. 
But if we're honest, it doesn't matter when you live. The world is always insecure. The world can't provide what we long for. It's a reminder to us that life is a war. We're always under siege. Circumstances are never peaceful for long. We long for things to go well, but then there's another bit of mayhem thrown our way. (laughs) Our world continues to be insecure and it seems to be getting worse all the time. There's nowhere to turn. And it's right in the middle of the mess that we live in that God sends His Son, Jesus. He shows up to give us what we need. What do we need? We need a Savior. (laughs) We need Jesus Himself. We think we need other things, but what we really need, and God knows this, is Jesus Himself. It's very important as we consider how Jesus came that we look at how He came because it reflects what Jesus came to be for us. The way He came is very very significant. Again, we want someone to come in and blow away the opposition, destroy evil forever, so we'll never struggle and take care of those people or the situations that are messing up our lives and causing mayhem for us. We want a conquering king who's going to destroy all our enemies and bring us circumstantial peace. It's what we all want, right? And That's because we're built for that. That's what heaven will be. That will come at Jesus' second coming. But in his first coming, he came in a different way for a different reason. It says he came to Bethlehem. As for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. Bethlehem was this tiny little town five miles south of Jerusalem, the royal city. Jerusalem is the place of power. That's where the temple is. That's where the king resides. That's where all the religious leaders are. You would expect a Messiah to come to Jerusalem. But Bethlehem was a sleepy little village full of shepherds. Not much going on. The shepherds in their culture, were looked down on as dirty, uneducated, basically the bottom feeders of society. And it says that he came, Jesus came, this Messiah, this ruler would come to this place that is insignificant, too little, it says, to be counted among the clans of Israel. What does that mean? Well, that means that in the list of the important cities of Israel, Bethlehem never showed up. Why? Because it was too little. There were shepherds there. It was unimportant. It was totally insignificant. So why in the world did Jesus decide to show up there? Why Bethlehem? Why not Jerusalem? Why not somewhere else that was more important? Maybe... Joseph and Mary got on the wrong donkey. You know, oh, sorry. Uh, oh, you wanted to go to Jerusalem. Well, sorry, this donkey is only going to Bethlehem. Uh, you, you, you bought the wrong ticket. Why did he end up in Bethlehem? Well, let me give you four reasons that I see. 
Number one, I think he showed up in Bethlehem because that was where King David was from. You see, God wanted to make it very clear that he was the Messiah. He was the one descended from David. He showed up in the same place, this insignificant little village that David came from. He's heir to the throne, the promised Messiah who would be descended from David. He is the heir of the promises. He is the Davidic king. Secondly, I think Jesus came to Bethlehem to show that he identifies with every man and every woman. You see, he just didn't come for the elite. He didn't show up in Jerusalem. If he'd shown up there where the religious leaders were, where the powerful were, where the world changers were, then we might have thought, well, he came for them, but not for me. But he came for all of us, and so he showed up in this lowly place to communicate forever and ever that Jesus came for the lowly, for the rejected of society. Whom did the angels show up first and say, guess what? Messiah's here. The lowly shepherds of Bethlehem. (laughs) He's trying to communicate to us that he's saying, no matter who you are, no matter how lowly, no matter your background, no matter how rejected you feel by this world, by your family, whomever, I came for you. I came for you. Jesus went on to live a life of poverty and insignificance, of homelessness, to show that there's no one too low for his love, to communicate forever that I am one of you, to identify with us. That's why Jesus came to Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. But third, I think he came to Bethlehem because that is where the sheep were raised to be sacrificed five miles away in the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus wanted to show that that's me. I'm the lamb to be slain, to be sacrificed for you. And that's what Bethlehem did. They raised these sheep and they were sent to Jerusalem to be sacrificed. And Jesus says, I'm the lamb who came to be slain for your sins. And then finally, I think Jesus came to Bethlehem to show what kind of king he came to be. Not a conquering, powerful king who would stand in the seat of power. He will come that way but not for now. But rather, he came to be a personal shepherd for every one of us. The Jews wanted a conquering king, of course, to throw out the Romans. We want a conquering king to come and take care of the evil in the world and destroy the powers that we struggle against. But the reminder is that Jesus will come back. He will come as that conquering king. He will make all things right and deal with pain and sorrow and throw it out forever, he is coming back. And the prophecies say he'll come through the Golden Gate, the Eastern Gate of Jerusalem. How many of you have actually been there and seen the Golden Gate? Some of you have. You've traveled there. Remember what it looks like? It's walled over. 
Why? Because the Muslims knew of the prophecies of Jesus' coming, that he would come through the Golden Gate. So what did they do? They walled it up to keep him out. (laughs) And they put a graveyard, a cemetery, right outside the door of the Golden Gate because they know that Jews won't walk on graves because it makes them unclean. They're doing all they can to keep Messiah out. I don't think it's going to work. When he comes back, (laughs) he will conquer and set all things right, and we're looking forward to that second coming when he will be that conquering king. But what Micah is telling us is that when he came the first time, and for him it was a prophecy 700 years before, when he comes, he will come not as a conquering king, but as a personal shepherd to his people. And it says that he, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. He's always been a king. He has always reigned from before the beginning of time all along. He knows how to reign. He is the shepherd king forever, eternal. But he stepped down to become one of us, to go to Bethlehem, to identify with us. And what will be the sign of his coming, does Micah tell us? Verse 3, And therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Now, if you're looking for Messiah to come, what would you expect? Probably a big parade going down the streets of Jerusalem. Messiah's here! Celebrate! But Micah says, no, in his coming, he will come in a humble way. In fact, the most humble way you can imagine. In Bethlehem, as a baby. Helpless, vulnerable, Again, identifying himself with us. This is the sign of his coming. So look, watch for this baby to be born. You'll know it if you have your eyes open looking for what God is doing. And he was born right under the noses of the religious elite, five miles away from Jerusalem. And they missed it. It's a reminder to me and maybe to all of us, that sometimes we look for God to do spectacular things. We get frustrated when he doesn't come through. We pray, God, please heal this person. God, please bring this person to Christ. God, please deal with this terrible situation, financial or otherwise. God, do this. God, do that. And we look for spectacular, miraculous activity of God. And maybe he's already at work right under our noses. And maybe if we would just open our eyes and say, God, help me to see where you are at work, we would be astounded by seeing his hand already at work in our lives, accomplishing great things. I don't know how many times I've prayed for something, God, to do something or heal someone or whatever, even to deal with the struggles with sin in my own life. God, take this away. I want to give it to you. I I want to serve you better, etc. And I find that what God does is often delays and it's hard, but it's because God's agenda is different than ours. Often God's agenda is that we might trust him more as our true shepherd. We want life to go better. He wants us to trust him in the midst of an uncertain and insecure world. So he came as a baby. What kind of king did this baby come to be? He tells us in verse 4, 
and he will arise. He will stand, in other words, and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. What kind of ruler did he come to be? Well, one who will stand firm, one that we can trust in, one that is faithful, one that takes his stand and he is firm and immovable and trustworthy. We can count on him. He's like a rock that can't be budged. He stands in a place where we can see him and trust him. But it says then, this one who comes to stand and to be trusted in comes as a shepherd. Again, not as a conquering king, but as a shepherd king. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, first, I think the significance is what it says about us. It says that we're sheep. Have you ever really thought about that? We're we're sheep that need a shepherd. Ray Stedman writes this. It occurs to me that if Jesus is to be our shepherd, then we have to begin by recognizing that we're sheep. I don't like that analogy, frankly, because I don't like sheep. I come by my dislike honestly. I used to raise sheep. In high school, I was in the 4-H club, and I had a herd of sheep and goats. Now, goats I can abide because they may be obnoxious, but at least they're smart. Sheep are, beyond question, the most stupid animals on the face of the earth. (laughs) They're dumb, they're dirty, they're timid, they're defenseless, they're helpless. Mine were always getting lost and hurt and snake-bitten. They literally do not know enough to come in out of the rain. I look back on my shepherding days with a great deal of disgust. Sheep are miserable creatures. And then to have God tell me that I am one. That hurts my feelings. (laughs) But if I'm really honest with myself, I know it's true. You see, if we need a shepherd, that means we're sheep. That means we're helpless. We do dumb things. We don't understand reality. We need help in life. We need somebody to take care of us. It's been interesting, this reintroduction of wolves into Idaho, how many sheep are being killed in just one ranch, Flat Top Ranch in central Idaho. This summer, 34 sheep were killed by wolves. Sheep are utterly defenseless. They have no way. They can't outrun a predator. They can't fight back. There's nothing they can do but be taken unless there's a shepherd who can care for them. One implication of Jesus coming as a shepherd king is that we are sheep. (laughs) So the most important quality then that God is looking for us in us is admitting that we are sheep and admitting that we need him every moment, that we cannot handle life on our own. To let go of that foolish pride that says, no, no, I can do it. But to learn dependence on our shepherd. So that's what it says about us. What does Jesus coming as a shepherd king say about him? Well, a number of things. For one, it says that he is personal. He's personal. If you look closely at how a shepherd in the Middle East, certainly, I can't say much about shepherds here, but in the Middle East, 
They were with their sheep all the time. They live with their sheep 24-7. They care for them. They're with them. They know them personally. He is personal, present, living with the sheep, always there. Secondly, he loves the sheep. It isn't just a job to him, but he cares them. He calls them by name. They know his voice. He knows each one personally. He carries the sheep when they're hurting and alone and need his help. He goes after the sheep that are lost. That's what a good shepherd does, and that's what Jesus does with us. He provides for the sheep. He leads us exactly where we need to go. A good shepherd would know where the good grass is and the water and the place they need to go. And the sheep may not want to go through this canyon, but the shepherd knows up above is where the good food and water is. And so he leads them through the canyon, even though it's scary. And Jesus does that with us. He takes us places that we don't want to go sometimes. But it's clearly for our good. That's what it's, the implication is that he is a shepherd king. He leads us through the dark canyon to get where we need to be. It also implies that Jesus protects the sheep. See, we need protection. We cannot protect ourselves, and we need someone to take care of us. An old book I found, The Shepherd's Song of the Hills of Lebanon, is written by an actual shepherd in the Middle East, and he describes how a shepherd functions. And he says this, The shepherd walks always ahead of his sheep. He leads. He does not drive. He is the first to face the dangers. He is the first to fight the enemies of the flock. With the steel spike in the heels of his boots, he crushes the head of the snake which coils itself on the road. And with his sling, he frightens away the wolves that lurk behind the rocks. Sometimes he comes to what seems a pleasant plain covered with flowers and grass, but when he steps upon this treacherous spot, he sinks deep into a swamp. He quickly extricates himself and calls warningly to his flock lest they perish there. Thus, the good shepherd makes of the dangerous paths paths of righteousness and of the difficult roads roads of safety. He protects the sheep. He takes care of them at night when it's time to sleep. The shepherd, the book goes on to describe when they're staying out in the wilderness, he builds a six-foot-high fence with brush and then he lays down at the entrance as if to say, if you want to get to the sheep, you have to come through me. If you want to get to my sheep, you have to come through me. Do you realize how powerful that is? It means that anything, anything that touches your life, anything that touches your life has already passed through the loving hands of your shepherd king, of Jesus. Anything that touches your life has already passed through the loving hands of Jesus. Now, you may not like some of the things that come your way, but they've already been filtered through his love and therefore a purpose for your good because he loves you so much. 
He protects you from anything that could do you real harm. It says that he shepherds in the strength and the majesty of Yahweh. All the power of God is invested in this shepherd, so we will trust him and know he's powerful enough to deal with any enemies we might face. And it says his reign is universal to the very ends of the earth, the end of verse 4. No matter where you go, no matter how far you run, <laughs> this shepherd king reigns and he goes after his lost sheep to bring him back because he loves us that much. What are the results of having this kind of shepherd king? What, what should be true about us then as a result? Well, he says at the end of verse 3, then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. What's, what's he describing there? That under the shepherd king, he creates a new community. What should be true of us as a sheep is we are a community where we learn to love him and love one another and keep our eyes on him and stay together and encourage each other to keep our eyes on him so that we don't get lost and wander away and get into trouble. So he says, this is what I created to bring Jews and Gentiles, people from all over the world together as a remnant who will love me and walk with me and I will be their shepherd. Secondly, he says, if I'm your shepherd king, then you should experience this. In verse 4, he says, he will shepherd in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will, my translation says, remain. I like the NIV better. They will dwell securely. They will live in security. And then verse 5, this one will be our shalom. What should be true about us if we truly look to Jesus as our shepherd, we will experience security, peace, shalom, a wholeness, a sense that all is right in the midst of a world of mayhem and difficulty and uncertainty and struggle. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. He longs for us to have security. He longs for us to Rest, be at peace. Not because he's fixed circumstances yet, he will in his second coming, but because we have a shepherd, we know who is taking care of us. We humans are so confused and our thinking is so messed up. We think security in life comes from bank accounts, insurance, <laughs> comfortable surroundings. We're wrong. Jesus can deal with all that anytime he chooses. Circumstances are nothing to him. He just uses them for his purposes. In the time of Micah, as I said, the Assyrians were camped outside the door of Jerusalem. It was a terrifying time. And they didn't know what to do. King Hezekiah didn't know what to do. So what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. God, we're helpless. <laughs> You're going to have to do something. They woke up the next morning and 185,000 Assyrians had been put to death by an angel of the Lord. They ran off what was left in fear. None of that 
is a big deal to God. He can do anything he wants. But what he wants us to learn is that true security doesn't come from circumstances being what we want. True security comes from trusting in your shepherd king who loves you. Keeping your eyes on him and walking with him. Little children know this instinctively. I watch my little one-year-old granddaughters, two of them, and if they're feeling any insecurity at all, what, they, what do they do immediately? They look for mom. Is mom in the room? <laughs> if my mom's in the room, everything's okay. And I can relax. I can play. I can enjoy. As long as I know she's there. As long as I can keep my eyes on her. And you know what, my little granddaughters, if I, at that point, if they're feeling a little insecure, mom left the room for a minute and they start crying. If I say something like, don't worry, there's plenty of money in the bank account. (laughs) Or we have lots of food in the fridge. You're going to be fine for at least a week. You know, they really don't care about that. Because they know all that's going to be taken care of by their parents. And all they really care about, can I see my mom? Is she within sight? That's exactly the way Jesus wants us to live with our shepherd. He is our shepherd. He says, just keep your eyes on me. I'll take care of the other stuff. Seek first me and my kingdom and all the rest will fall into place. He wants us to live a life of rest, security, play, enjoyment. Because we have our eyes on him. In Matthew chapter 2, Adrian read the passage where the Magi come and they come to Jerusalem and they say, where is the Messiah going to be born? We, we saw his star in the east. And all the religious leaders said, oh, well, we know the prophecy. And they quoted this very passage in Micah and they said, he will be born in Bethlehem. And the Magi said, great, thanks, we're going to go see him. And all the religious leaders and the politicians and King Herod and all the rest of the Jews, what'd they do? They stayed home. They didn't go to set their eyes on the new shepherd king. Where are you today? Maybe you know a lot about Jesus, but maybe you've never actually put your eyes on him to say, Lord, I want you to be my shepherd. I want to keep my eyes on you and trust in you for my security because I desperately need that in this uncertain, insecure, confused world. Our way to security in life is to be like a good sheep. Keep our eyes on the shepherd king and keep following trusting that he loves you and has your best interests in mind. That is the message of Christmas, brothers and sisters. We have a shepherd who loves us, so let's trust him. And someday he'll come again as a conquering hero and set everything right in the universe. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, we want you to come. But in the meantime, we want to keep our eyes on you. Are you in good hands? Absolutely. You are not alone. 
not because of a financial company, not because of an insurance company, but because you have a Messiah, Jesus, your shepherd king who came to shepherd you in the midst of an uncertain life. Let's pray. Lord, how amazing that you came. You were already God and you set all that aside to come and to dwell among us, to humble yourself, to be identify with us so that we would know you not as some distant idea or concept or even some distant conquering king, dictator, but you came as one of us, to be a shepherd king, to shepherd us through life in all its uncertainties and difficulties. Lord, may we be sheep who keep our eyes on you, that we might trust you and experience the security you want us to have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.